In this episode, I speak with a middle school English language arts teacher who was filled with questions about the future of education, especially with the return or reopening of schools. She ponders the question, what do my students' education journey look like and what can I do to help them get there? In this episode, I am interviewing a former student and also a grad assistant of mine. And as she just reminded me, it was about seven years ago, which I can't believe it's been that long. Back then, my guest and I, we, we butt heads a lot. <laughs> I'm quite sure she will agree with that. But it was through determination, her determination and my determination, that she completed her work and graduated with a master's in reading. And she is now a middle school ELA teacher in Brooklyn, New York, and in the New York City Public Schools. And I am so excited to just chat with her today and, and just hear what's been going on and how she's thinking. So welcome, Lizette Vergara. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Through sheer determination, we are here. <laughs> absolutely. So how are you holding up with the shelter in place in New York and all that is happening, just current events in, in life? Well, in the beginning of everything, I was kind of thinking about it like, I'm so bored at home. And now I've just like reframed that mindset to like, I'm so safe at home. So I'm, I've been feeling really lucky to be able to be home. And thankfully, um, no one in my family has contracted the virus or um, we haven't necessarily felt the direct effects of it other than, you know, having to be in the house with a four-year-old. I have a four-year-old niece who <laughs> um, reminds me every day that she doesn't have to go to school by her loud running and stuff. So it's been it's been really interesting. It's a, been an interesting adjustment, but I'm very lucky to be at home. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we all are, and I think it took us a minute to recognize Absolutely. how lucky and and be thankful for that, just to be at home and be safe. And I'm so glad to hear that that is your case too. So we're here to talk about teaching and learning with uncertainty. And so what has your experience been with teaching and learning since COVID-19, which is the height of uncertainty. Right. It's interesting that your podcast is like teaching and learning with uncertainty, because isn't that always the case? You know, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, it's um, definitely always uncertain. Even the moment that you like walk into your classroom, you're like, what's today going to bring, you know? That um, is so true. I, you know, it's funny because, and I hate to cut you off, but I just had to, the thought, that was probably one of the reasons why I chose that as the title, because it's not just now in this moment. It's been that teaching and learning is uncertain, right? Even though we plan, there's nothing certain about that plan. And one lesson works wonderfully with one period and the next period you're like, is that the same lesson that I, that I planned? So with this whole pandemic, we've been forced to reinvent teaching. I think that a lot of the things that I was taught when I was in school, we kind of still had those practices. And the fact is that like, we're living in contemporary times and children don't learn in the same way that we learned. And also now students will push back and they'll say, well, actually I Googled and it said X, Y, and Z. So you always have to be on your toes. And, and with this whole pandemic, it's like, you know, 
I post an assignment, but the world is at their fingertips. So they'll push back and they'll question as well. Like, you know, that's in the good cases. And then I have the cases where I haven't seen my students in two and a half months. Like I have students who I have no idea whether they are okay or or not. And it's really alarming and it's scary to just, you know, I got an email today from my administrator and said, I had sent an email about a student about six weeks ago. And just now I'm hearing back that there was contact with the family. So there's definitely this uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. And I could imagine just the sheer anxiety of worrying about your students, right? Yeah. You know, particularly when we can't see them every day. Yeah. How do I know that they're okay? You know, you said you were forced to reinvent teaching. Yeah. Say more about that. What was that about? What was that like? Well, you know, when you when you have a lesson and you come into the class, you know, okay, at the end of this period, I'm going to get my exit slip in, in paper and I'm going to check it really quick. I'll be able to upload the grade, whether it be tomorrow or it's going to go in the pile of paper. You know, it, that's just what teaching has been. And we get into the, these routines. But I think that the pandemic has opened up the fact that there is technology, like there's different ways for us to teach our students. And teaching doesn't just have to be in a school building. When our students walk out of our classrooms, they should continue that learning process. It doesn't mean, okay, your notebook is closed for the day and move on, you know? I'm <laughs> so I think that's my fingers. You see me snapping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. That way, teaching has been um, reinvented for me, at least. Yes. And I... I'm often pushed to think about the building, right? And how the building holds this place of honor. Mm-hmm. And like, it's the only place in which learning can happen. And it's not, right? I had a conversation with a parent who was struggling with their child right at the beginning of shelter in place and, and the distance learning. And she was like, I don't know how to get her to do this, you know, and how to motivate her. And I said, don't worry about it. Right. Think about What are ways in which you can get her to engage with reading and writing and science just through everyday life? Right. It doesn't have to be the academic learning, but if you think about how much she would learn or it's even reinforcing what she already knows if you cook together. Right. Right. Because a recipe requires measurement. It requires reading. So there's math, there's reading. There's also a little bit of science in there as to what you might be mixing together. So just everyday life experiences and how do we see learn see that as learning also and so that makes me even curious about what have you valued from this experience my biggest value has been the importance of the family in our educational system i think that that my the hardest part of being a teacher is not my students i love every single one of those little human beings they are all so amazing but when you bring in the parent personalities and the administrative personalities i think that that's what makes my job more difficult and now i've had to again reimagine and reframe my perspective on education in that my biggest ally is the parent like i need you right now if if a parent is not you know, checking in on their child, opening up the door saying, are you logged on to Ms. Regara's class? You know, if you're not doing that, I cannot instruct your child because I'm not seeing them on a day-to-day basis. So I have found myself definitely reaching out to the parents more just to even say, hey, you know, I know that you're um, an EMT. 
And, you know, you're out there. I just wanted to say thank you so much for everything that you're doing every day. If you need me to go online with so-and-so, um, I'm available at this time. Have them come on. I'll help them with their homework on that day. Or if you want me to answer any questions, just let me know what your schedule is like. Just having to accommodate for the parents as well, because we are a learning community. And it cannot, again, when I thought about education as the building, that is not even the beginning of education. My classroom is just like a small little portal to what my students are going to experience when it comes to education. I can't tell you how proud I am. (laughs) My heart is just oozing with pride right now to hear my former students speak in this way. You know, and and I think you will recall too how many times I got on my soapbox about parents, right? <laughs> because th- I think that's one of one of my pet peeves is that teachers are quick to blame parents for not doing their part. And so I so appreciate the fact that you talked about reaching out to parents just to say thank you. Yeah. Right. Because their job really isn't to educate their child. That's why they send them to us. Their job is to take care of all the other things. Mm-hmm. But in this pandemic, they then had to take on the role of teacher and they struggled with it. It was hard. We know how hard it is, right? So now we've pushed that kind of off to them and they had to take on that role. And I'm quite sure they appreciated you just reaching out and saying, hey, how are you doing? Here's some ways in which I can support you, right? If your child needs extra help, just have them log on at this time. I can do that. And that makes a world of difference when you say, because they are your ally and you need them on your side in order to help educate their child, because it is about the community. They're all, everyone who is uh, involved with that child is a member of that child's learning community and your learning community also. Right. And, you know, I found out some of the most interesting things about my students during this pandemic, you know, like students who, you know, I would say, oh, you can come and do a lunch and learn. Well, they weren't coming to a lunch and learn because they had to go and eat lunch because right after school, they had to go and get a sibling or, you know, they were responsible for their um, siblings education right after school. Or even, you know, by reaching out to parents, I've learned that they've had six or seven family members die during this pandemic. Who am I to ask this student? Well, make sure you open up speak and read pages seven through 15. You know, when you have lost people in your, like grandparents, you know, I just like reflect on how important, like the love of a grandparent is. And one of my students signing on like five minutes before class and just sobbing and saying, I'm so sorry. Like she really cares about her grades and saying, I really want to be, and I'm like, close the computer. Mm-hmm. To stop for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, we're trying to conduct business as usual and it's not business as usual. And it's not fair to an 11 or a 12. Some days I just want to teach with the covers over my head. Like, I'm like, I can't, I can't, I just can't, can't today. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't life today. I just can't. And, you know, just thinking about an 11 or a 12 year old trying to navigate life right now is, you know, crazy for me. Yeah. And and you're right. It The trauma behind this. Right whether it be that they've lost someone in their immediate family or just the sheer fact about what's happening worldwide is a lot for us as adults to deal with and has to be even more traumatic, you know, for kids. You know, I have two grandchildren and they go on walks with their mom and the minute they pass someone when they're walking, they hold their breaths. Oh my goodness, yes. Because they think Yes, my four-year-old niece is the same. And she's like, please, let's cross the street. Please, please. Just like... 
a four-year-old you're so concerned about other humans and like people will say hi and like you know try to wave at her and she'll turn her back to them and she used to be so willing to like say hi to people and stuff now she's just like in panic all the time unless she's home she is panicked yeah and that's you know as we talk about the return to school that's one of the biggest things is how will schools prepare for the trauma, not just the trauma of the students, but also the trauma of the teachers, right? The trauma that the teachers are going to bring with them. Um, and is that even a part of the conversation? It's more than the academics. It's really about the people. If we can't take care of the people in the school, there, there is no academics because learning is not going to happen until we can reduce the anxiety, the stress, the fear, the sadness that the people in the school are dealing with. Which has been my biggest concern during all of this. You know, there hasn't been time set apart for the emotional stress that this has put on the students, you know. And when you mention it, it's kind of like, well, we have X, Y, and Z curriculum that we have to get through. I mean, <laughs> curriculum? <laughs> you know, like curriculum, is that really what we're concerned about when students are like, I mean, I have a student who logs on every single day. She's on religiously. But in her background, the news is always playing. This is what this child is ingesting on a day-to-day -day basis. Unless she's hearing her classmates, the TV, and like, you know, I, I can hear that it's like her grandpa or grandfather or something sitting next to her um, because he gets on the phone sometimes and like, he's like talking about this. So all day long, this is what she's listening to. So you're telling me that I shouldn't ask the child how she's feeling. And what is it going to look like for her when she goes back? And now this is her new normal, right? Like listening to the news every day. So is that going to produce her any anxiety, not knowing what's going on all the time? Also, before you can even be an educator, you have to be a human being and you have to be okay emotionally. You have to like feel whole. And if I come into the classroom and I feel like I have some type of trauma that I need to, um, you know, clear up, how can I instruct the child who is feeling the same? I don't know. There's so many questions that I have about what education should be now. And I think that that's like my constant butting of heads with like <laughs> graduate schools and programs and all of these things. It's like, you know, I'm in the space where you're like pushing the Gatsby and PJ down my throat. But then like, what about the humans? <laughs> what about me? Like, those are my most important questions. Yeah. So what about you? What about you being supported? Right. How has that been? I think my greatest support has come from my colleagues. I think that, um, you know, the group chats and like the emails with one another, I think that those, that's that's been the most support that I've gotten. Also um, support from parents when I've emailed them and said, you know, I'm sorry, I know that the grades aren't uploaded right now, but my priority is reaching out to students that I haven't spoken to in two months. Some parents have sent me emails. They start all of their emails with, thank you so much for what you are doing. And then they'll go into, <laughs> you know, the nuances or whatever it is that they need to say. And I have... I've been very blessed this year with, I would say, a good amount of parents who are so appreciative of the work that I'm doing. And that keeps me going every day. Like that makes me feel like I know that this person's parent is looking forward to getting my morning message. Like those things have got gotten me out of bed sometimes. And like those things have, that's like the most support. That's the support that I need. I don't need the support from like, you know, administrating, sending like shout outs to people for having 100% attendance. I'm like, I don't. I don't care. I just want to make sure my babies are okay. That's all. <laughs> you know, that's the support I need is from my students' parent, parents and from my students just saying, good morning, Ms. Regara, I'm here. That's yeah. it.
Yeah. So just the acknowledgement and, and not acknowledge, acknowledgement for just being you. I think that's what those appreciations are, right? Thank you for just being you. And being you is, as you said, you showing up whole every yeah. day, right? Having and knowing that you are enough just as you are. And what you bring, you bring what you can to contribute to those students. And you're going to receive from them at the same time. That's going to continue to fill you up also and be a part of your wholeness. Yeah. And even saying to my students some days, like, hey, everyone, like, I'm not turning my camera on today because I just can't. I honestly can't. And like, they appreciate that. They say, oh, thank you, Ms. Regard. Okay, can I just turn my camera off too? You know, and I'm okay. like, I don't have that like expectation of everyone turn your camera on, everyone mute your microphone, then unmute it. It's like, let's just make this happen in whatever way we can make this happen. That's it. Like, let's just figure it out. I'm okay with whatever it is today. Yeah, yeah. And I, I appreciate, Lizette, that you can say, I can't. Yeah. And I think, like you said, and I think your students appreciate that, too, because it means that they don't always have to be on. Yeah. Right. There are days when we just have to say no and take that time to refuel ourselves in whichever ways we we have to. But to just know that it's okay to just not be able to sometimes. And I mean, they hold me accountable. (laughs) You know, if I don't turn my camera on on Tuesday, on Wednesday, they're like, Miss Regarry, your camera's still off. I'm like, oh, okay, here's my camera. You know, like they push me out of those funds and I appreciate them for that. Because when they push me, then I'm like, okay, there's accountability for me. So I have to keep my standards up for them as well. Yeah, yeah. And that accountability piece has to be so important for them too, you know, in regards to how you hold them accountable. Yeah. What do you need? to do to prepare to do school differently. Because I was actually in a webinar earlier today and one of the things that they said is that we can't go back to normal, but we can build a better normal. Mm-hmm. So what's something that you need to do to prepare to build a better normal? My voice. You know, I think that when we are in the educational system, we often are like afraid of maybe administration coming into your classroom too often or um, ruffling any feathers. But I feel like a lot of the issues that we're, I'm seeing right now in distance learning are issues that I identified before that I would often say like, why are we doing this on paper and pencil? Like, why aren't we giving them multimodal ways of like submitting their work? Like, how are there schools that are 100% Google Classroom schools and we don't even have functioning computers for the students to print? I mean, it is sometimes World War Three for the kids to try to print in the mornings. Why? You know, and I think that I need to use the voice that I have where people are always like, you're always advocating for something. I'm like, yes, I am always advocating for something. And now I need to like, my new normal needs to be advocating for my students to have all of the resources that they need to catch up with their peers who are in Park Slope, who are in, you know, whatever areas. Some students walk into their first day of school and get a laptop. I don't need my students to have a laptop, but I do want my children to be able to walk into a school building and be able to print. That's all. Like, I just need my voice. I need my voice and I need to hold myself accountable for my students' education, not just, oh, this is my classroom and here they have everything that they need. My students should be able to walk through the entire building and say they have what they need. So if you would succeed in getting what you need, what would teaching and learning look like for you? If I were to succeed, teaching and learning would look like there not being a clear divide between 
my students and students who go to schools in different districts, maybe where their parents are like asked for donations, you know, where there's a big sale or whatever it is that they're doing to get their funds. You know, I, I just want there to be no clear segregation <laughs> in our school system. And I don't know if that's okay to say or not, but I just don't want them to, and I don't think that a lot of children understand that they don't have the same resources as other students. Like, I think that they just think that this is the normal and this isn't the normal. So if I were successful, my students would know that when they come into our school buildings, they are loved and protected and provided for as best as they need. Yeah. Also, if I were successful in what I need, I think that aftercare for educators would be really important. I don't think that we're being treated as first responders right now, and we are first responders. I mean, I've had te other teachers that are saying, you know, I had one of the assistant principals and an educator went to a child's school house and delivered a personal laptop to them. No one is saying, telling these stories, but like, that is love. That is sh like 100% love. And, you know, we're telling the stories of all of like, the bad things that are happening with remote learning, but why aren't the beautiful stories being told as well? I think that a lot of educators are going to need therapy after all of this. Like not knowing where one of your students is for two and a half months is like, it is very scary because you start to imagine like, you know, are they in an abusive home? Are they, you know, I had a student who was going from like family member to family member because his mother was a nurse. And she didn't want him to stay with her because she was afraid that he was going to get sick. And that's really like scary for an educator. So if I got what I wanted after all of this, we would all be taken care of. Yeah. Gosh, that gave me chills to think about. <laughs> Seriously, you know, to think about a school system, which is a living system that takes care of all its members. Yeah. Right. And no one is needing for anything because their needs are being met, yeah. right? So when you, you talked about, you know, your students thinking that what they have in their school is the normal, you know, it's, that's what it's supposed to be. Well, it, it is what it's supposed to be for them because that's all they've ever known, right? right? Exactly. Was education in a, um, in a school that had limited resources. But why not have those, all of the resources be the same across all schools? Exactly. We have we have equity then, right? Exactly. Right. People say, um, you know, equality for all. I don't need. <laughs> some of my students won't benefit from having a laptop, but they will benefit from maybe having more time in the morning when they could do their homework. So we need equity as opposed to equality, and I think that that's something that we need to reflect on as well. Yeah, yeah, and it takes I think the educator, the teacher too, to really um, check in with themselves. Mm -hmm. about what's important to them, their values, and really examine whether their values are showing up in the work that they do every day, right? Because they all have, I'm quite sure, very important values. But when they're in that classroom in front of students, sometimes those values don't shine through, right? And so how do we ensure as educators that what we value, what we define as being important to us, we also, it's also shown in the world, right? The way we show up in the world is steeped in those values. And what you see of me today is the same thing you're going to see of me tomorrow or the same thing you're going to see of me in the grocery store because this is what I believe and I'm living the life that I believe. Right. 
which is what I was um, kind of saying before with like accountability for myself and using my voice. You know, I can't say that I'm someone who stands for justice or equity or any of those things um, when I only do it in higher education, when I'm only pushing back in a class full, room full of my colleagues. But when a child, when I see that something is happening to a child out of maybe fear, I'm just like, okay, well, this is not okay. I'm just going to be silent right now because I don't want it to fall back on me. Like, I I think that this pandemic has definitely pushed me to saying, like, pushing myself. What do you value and how are you showing up authentically to demonstrate your values, to demonstrate who you are at the core? And, you know, fear is not who I am. I'm not someone who is afraid. You are not. I know that about <laughs> <At> you. <all>. So, <laughs> so what do you need to support you in, with that empowerment, to support you when you're in a place of fear? What do you need to help you step out of fear and into your values? I think that my mindfulness practice has been very instrumental for me during this pandemic. Um, I think that I often need like techniques to be able to kind of like calm myself down in order to maybe word things because anyone that knows me knows that I'm very passionate. And when I get very passionate, sometimes I sometimes like I'll cry because I'm so like, you know, enraged by what is happening in the moment. And I think that it's really important for myself and even for other educators to receive things like professional developments that will help us you know, speak up for injustices maybe that we're seeing. Um, if you see this, then do this. If you, you know, there's no like toolkit maybe for being an educator, but I think that establishing communities that have like minds and are um, progressive is going to be really instrumental to me and being able to teach the way that I want to teach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, I'm still just thinking about that community where where you using your voice it's welcomed yeah right? so you don't have to feel like oh my god if i say this this is what's going to happen but no that your voice is welcomed in that community because your voice is seen as a new perspective that we may not have thought about right so i'm bringing a new perspective with by sharing this idea let's think through this how will this fit in because that is how we thrive right but even just like having you know this conversation i feel like there's these constant reminders right now in my life of like how does that look like for your students in your classroom you know do i value my students voices in the classroom on a day on a day-to-day basis or am i the administrator in the room yeah that says this is what we're doing and this is how it's going to get done yeah you know or am i offering moments where i say what do you all think you know, how do you all think that we can get to this, you know? And sometimes we just have to pause on these curriculums. <laughs> we have to pause on these deadlines and ask these human beings that are in front of us, what does your educational journey look like and how can I help you get there? This curriculum needs to be pushed to the side. I need to know what your needs are. And I have to provide for my students the same things that I want provided for me as an educator. Yeah, yeah. That was a, a great insight. You know, am I providing for my students or am I being the administrator in the room? That's that's a powerful question to just even remind yourself to ask yourself every day is, am I providing for them or am I being the administrator? Because I clearly can remember times when I was the administrator <laughs> in the room. Here's the target. Get to it, everybody. Yes, yes. But how? How do I get there? Yeah. You know, when you throw a curriculum at me and you say, just do it, how? Yeah. You know? 
So now I'm going to hold you accountable a little bit. Okay. So you've talked about using your voice. If you, that's, you know, if you want to change teaching and learning, a part of doing that is to use your voice. So how are you going to do that? What are some action steps you're going to take post? I don't know if I can say post COVID because I don't know when the post is going to be, but what are the actions that you're going to take as you prepare for whatever return to school looks like and, and whenever that is? You know, I think that in a way, sometimes like the educational system as, a, as an educator can make you a little jaded and you stop showing up to like those committees that are created because you're like, it's going to be a rant session and everybody's just going to complain and nothing is going to come of that. You know, so I think that the way that I'm going to hold myself accountable is by showing up to those committees and saying, hey, let's set a timer. We're five minutes. Everyone can rant and say what they want to say. And then let's get to this. Let's look at the agenda and let's target it because this work is really important. And I think that is more about like not judging my fellow educators because we never really have time to have those rant sessions and no one will understand you more than another educator. <laughs> when I tell another educator and they throw their hands up in there and they're like, yes, like, they get it. So just like knowing that fellow educators are going through the same things and then holding ourselves accountable for hey, we can complain about this for five minutes, but complaining isn't going to solve the problem. So reminding myself and my fellow educators of that. Yeah, yeah. So making space for the emotions, right? Because that's what those rants are really about is their emotions. So making space for the emotions so that you can attend to the work. Right. Right. And because what we know is that those emotions are filters, right? And until we reduce the filter... We can't focus on what we're trying to solve. Right. Yeah. So making space for the emotions so we can get to the work. To the work. Wow. Wow. What did I not ask you that you feel is important to share? I would say, and we, we kind of touched on it a little bit because you're so thorough and <laughs> you touch on everything that is important. Um, but I think that something that we need to focus on all the time for educators is self-care and self-love. I think that um, what does the aftercare of the pandemic look like for an educator is a conversation that needs to be had. I don't have the answer. I don't think that I have the answer, but I think that it's just something that we really have to think about and push our administrations and push our departments of education to create spaces for aftercare. You know, I've seen many um, resource lists for students and for parents and for families um, for maybe therapy that they can go to. But very rarely do I see anything that is sent to us for educators to love on themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as a part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast is just for those reasons, right, is that I truly believe that teacher well-being is the foundation of our education system. If the teachers that are in front of children every day aren't taken care of and they don't come to that classroom feeling whole every day, or at least knowing that if they aren't whole, someone's there to kind of fill them up, that what they do for those children is not going to be as successful for those students' achievement, academic achievement. So how do we provide and really having conversations about integrating teacher well-being as a part of the school system? And so when you talk about self-care, self-love, 
aftercare. And I didn't even think of the thought of aftercare, but talking about caring for teachers after this pandemic and treating them like first responders, right? Because they really are when dealing with all that their students bring to their remote classrooms every day or, or don't bring and because they're absent, right? And the emotion that the teacher is feeling because of that absence. How are we going to step in and be of support to the teachers? Because without the teacher, there is no school. Right. You can have all the administrators in the world. <laughs> right. if there's no teacher. There is no school. There's no school. Right. So um, really pushing this idea of integrating teacher well-being as a part of what happens in a school building is is very important to me because it's our opportunity too. I think teacher opportunity too to have a say in what happens in school. hundred percent. I do think that also like the pandemic has made administrators more um, aware of teacher well-being and how important it is. I think that even the emails that I've been receiving from, from administration have just been kinder, you know, just like not so business as usual, but also like check-ins. Like if you need anything, let us know. And, you know, I've been working at the same school for seven years and I don't think that that's necessarily been the case, except for my assistant principal, because she's an angel. But <laughs> other than that, you know, I think that the emails are usually very business, you know, and it's okay. It's, it's okay for us to ask other human beings, how are you doing? It is okay to do a feeler. Like, I don't know. I'm just like a lover. <laughs> I'm just a lover. And I just want everybody to be okay. And, you know, working in traditional settings, as you know, is very difficult for me. <laughs> I just want to walk in with like my Latina heart. And I want to say like, let's put on the music, everybody. Like, what's going on? You know, and it is very difficult for me sometimes. <laughs> is all I have to say about that. <laughs> I love your Latina heart. <laughs> Thank and, you. And I think that what you bring is that love. And that's so important. Like I could, I just can envision that any child that crosses the threshold of your classroom is definitely walking into loving arms. And I know, because I know you so well, I know that you attend to every child's needs, right? And if we could just provide that same opportunity to every child in every classroom, that they're walking into a classroom, walking into arms of people who truly love them for them, not love them because they want to make them somebody else, but they love <laughs> them. you're a two and I want you to be a four. I That's don't care right. if you're a four. I don't care. If you go from a two to a 2.1, honey, you did everything you needed to do this year. I'm so happy that you did that, you know? Or if you stay at two, guess what? You didn't fall back. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. To just love them for who they are, you know, and, and honor all the gifts and talents that they bring because they do bring them. And they're not academic gifts and talents, but they are gifts and talents that if we tap into them in the right way, that makes them feel like we really honor them, they will become supports for that academic achievement. Right. Also with the parents when we stop treating the parents as like sign this permission slip, send the $5 in. And when we actually ask the amount of talents that these parents have that they can bring into our classrooms during this pandemic, I've gotten to know that I have parents who are like IT gurus. Like they're like, well, Miss Figueroa, what's going on with your computer? Because one day I couldn't turn the microphone on on my computer. And a father emailed me and said, hey, just so you know, I run an IT business. And he walked me through fixing the microphone on my computer. But I had never asked, what 
what do you, what skills do you have that you would love to bring into our school community? And then he ended up sending an email to the administration and saying, like, I can help with any computer issues that anyone has. And we never ask. We don't ask our parents what they have, you know, because we're kind of afraid like they're going to be too involved then. But you know what? Be too involved. Come in here. Help me out sometimes. <laughs> it's crazy. Like the world I want sometimes. So come on in. You know? We have to invite our parents in. And that's been the biggest value and lesson that I've had during this whole pandemic. I need connection with the parents. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably something that many teachers have really honored now is that the parents really can contribute a lot, not only to their students learning, but also to supporting what's happening in the classroom and for our own learning, right? And helping us learn. Lizette, I am so happy you did this. <laughs> you so, so, I'm, so much for having me. I'm happy for a lot of reasons. One being, I am so proud of my former student. <laughs> <laughs> you. And the teacher you have grown to be. I told you and I was going to be okay. I knew. I know. I knew <laughs> it. I did know it. <laughs> but it was touch and go sometimes. <laughs> Listen, I was 23 years old. You know? Yeah, I know. You were still a baby. And that's why I had to take you in my arms and love you. <laughs> and you did a beautiful job at it. And I could never repay you. Thank you. But it was... All I needed to do to, so that you could step out into doing what you're doing right now as your whole self, being fully confident and proud of who you are and showing that strength and being able to use that confidence to even show some confidence, to help your students build confidence too. So, so proud of you. So proud of you. Just listen to you talk. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I was a part of that. Yes, you were. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I, I greatly appreciate you taking the time to just chat with me today about this and sharing all of your thoughts. And I love you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything. And even being a part of this, I'm like, you know, it made me so reflective. Like even just thinking now after all of the questions that you asked me, I'm like, okay, now what are you going to do? Because you can't just sit up here and look cute and like, you know, talk cute. Like you have to be cute too. You have to do the work. You know, you can't just sit here and say, um, you know, I want accountability. I want a voice. I want power. And then shut the computer down and say, that was nice. You know, I have to be those things. Yeah, you do. And I'm so glad you said that because before this is how we're ending this. So I'm expecting this is my request to you, not a challenge, but it is a request that you send me email updates about how you've used your voice, because knowing that you've got to email me will hold you accountable. Absolutely. I will. Thanks, Lizette. Thank you. Educator social emotional well-being is important to the academic success of students. Educators, if your bucket feels empty, I create space for you to reconnect and realign your mind, body, and soul so that you can fully show up for your students. Contact me at trustyouconsulting.com for more information.